Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Paula Castro. And I'm Nick Anthony. And today we're talking to Aubrey Lancaster about asexuality and non-sexual intimacy. Hey, Nick. Hey, Brittany. We were just trying to figure out what we were going to talk about in this. And I was like, maybe we can talk about how I'm feeling irritable. And I was like, oh, whatever do you mean? <laughs> it doesn't seem like you're irritable at all. When I'm irritable, I feel like I get picky on you. Like, <laughs> That's just real clear. <laughs> Every single time, I'm just like, don't move, uh, don't breathe. It, 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 it's like, it takes work for me to be like, this is like, all right, word, she's irritable. This has nothing to do with you. Like, you're good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being, I'm being picky with you. Even with the quality of the screen, like it looks pixelated. No, but the lighting, it looks too bright. What is happening? I don't understand. And I was just like, yo, just trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Sometimes that happens, yeah. right? A wave, y'all. Yeah, I just feel a little. Um, we did a lot of recordings this week and a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. and it was your birthday yesterday? Yeah. Oh, glorious, glorious was, birthday! You want to talk about your little sweet surprise? Oh my goodness! Yeah, like uh, my partner Aaron showed up at our dinner. That I had no idea with gifts and like a smile and. <laughs> taking time out of her uh, evening to st stop past and say hello. Which the two of us had, had we cultivated, cultivated that. Um, we planned that for about the past month and we went in on gifts. Yeah. All of that. It was lovely. Soup dumplings and gifts and, and love. Yeah. It's just uh, beautiful things to culminate together. Just make me feel so jazzed. Yeah. You were really excited and happy. I thought it was really sweet. 100% authentic. I know. You are 100% authentic. Thank you. You're welcome. So today uh, we're talking about asexuality. Super excited to have Aubrey on. I think that this is going to be a really important conversation. I think that mainstream doesn't talk about asexuality enough. I really don't. I don't, I don't think I've seen anything in, no. in relation to this publicized or documented. I mean, like in like mainstream media. Not no, not like not really, not much. And not, and even like in movies and things like that, like it's not, there's not a lot of that awareness no. about this yet. And so I'm excited to talk about this because my other partner is on that spectrum mm -hmm. of demisexuality. And it's been interesting, like navigating that. And so I think it's going to be nice to talk about like what it is and what it's not, mm -hmm. because then we'll, we'll save it until we get talking to, to Aubrey. But yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. And I'm also on the demisexual spectrum mm -hmm. and it's something that I've, it's definitely, I've been connecting with more so in the last few years for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. And just being like, you know, right. I don't feel sexual in this moment. Like mm -hmm. having those moments and being like, hmm, that, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to like unpack that a little bit too. Cause I definitely noticed a difference between my other partner and, and you, mm -hmm. you know, and I think like seeing him and the way that he moves through that has like, I've gotten curious about, about you yeah. around that as well. And so, yeah, so that's, we're going <laughs> to, we have lots of questions to ask Aubrey. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Welcome to Kitchen Table. I'm Brittany. I'm Nick. And today we are talking to Aubrey Lancaster. Aubrey is a sex educator of 17 years, sharing adult products and educating on the mechanics of arousal. As an alloromantic asexual, Aubrey has lived experience and a connection to the asexual and aromantic communities that provides a unique perspective on the issues facing the changing landscape of sexuality and orientation. 
When not working, Aubrey spends her time with her husband, her friends, her five-year-old, and her gaggle of chihuahuas. Mm, gaggle. <laughs> I love it. Whole gaggle of chihuahuas. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Aubrey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have this conversation with you. I wish your gaggle of chihuahuas could be on this call with us. <laughs> I specifically <laughs> made sure they were not. <laughs> You're like, listen, no. <laughs> They'll just start barking randomly. It'll really ruin the mood. <laughs> how many chihuahuas are there for gaggle? Right now I have four, which is down from five a few years wow. ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wow. sorry. Wow. I don't know why I'm just like focusing on the chihuahuas, but... <laughs> What are the, t- I'm like excited what about them for some second. That's what I wanted to ask. <laughs> what are their names? Kira is my mother's chihuahua. And then Boku is my puppy. Although puppy is eight years old now. <laughs> <laughs> Luna is the biggest one. She's a mutt. She's got some chihuahua and something else. She's got a bunch of things in there. And then we have Aladdin, who was our... <gasps> Unadoptable rescue that uh, got his happy ever after. Oh, so sweet. That's so cute. I love it. I love the names. I know. Nick wants a dog so bad and we go back and forth and I'm like, "Mm, do we have a cat? Our cat's name is Pancake. That's adorable. And... And he's like, we're going to get a dog. And I was like, no. I feel like it's going to happen at some point. Right now, I lost the, the drive the drive for it. But yeah, uh, yeah, we were so close. It was going to we happen. Were, we were. Like, I'm so glad that did Let's go look at pups. And they were just like, nah, we're going we're gonna to relax. It's for just a the responsibility. I just don't want to. It's the walking for Bridge. They got to walk it every time. They're very demanding. I ended up working in rescue for a couple of years. And so all of them came from that same rescue. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Like, You're like, okay, I'm gonna take another. I'm gonna I'm gonna take another. <laughs> Two of them are foster fails. Oh, <laughs> I've learned that I cannot foster. I will keep them. You will keep them forever. I love them. <laughs> good too much. to know. I love good. Them too much. Yeah. It's a good way to test them out, though. If you're looking for a dog that really fits your house, fostering is a good way to go because, you know, if you can let them go, they weren't the right one. Mm. Mm. There you go. Message. I know, right? Listen to that. <laughs> Let's marinate in that. Take it in other ways. Let the plot to everything in your life. <laughs> Just <laughs> stretch it out. You can release it easily. It wasn't meant to be. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so as much as we want to keep talking about dogs, because they're adorable, and I used to see their faces, I imagine them. I really think that what we're talking about today, and so excited that you're joining us for this particular topic of asexuality and non-sexual intimacy, because I think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that this topic gets enough play, like most places, like in mainstream media, or like you don't see like a lot of characters or you know people in movies or shows that are asexual. And so it just, this just doesn't have a lot of... We have been fighting for visibility for 50 years and we are starting to see more representation, but especially because the internet allows for so much more communication and especially, you know, fan fictions and all of these opportunities for individuals to publish their own work and start to bring out these identities that we just don't otherwise talk about in mainstream. Exactly. And so that's why I'm so glad that we're doing it now. I think I really first want us to get clear on like, let's get clear on like what this is and what we're talking about. You know, like, okay, what is asexuality? What is alloromantic? What are some of these? Can you just break down some of the basic definitions so we kind of are clear with like the terminology and the language as we move forward? 
that ends up being so much of my work is just the what is it? And it's important. It really is because there is so much misunderstanding. So asexuality is a sexual orientation where the person experiences little to no sexual attraction to other people or desire for sexual contact. Now, that aspect of it is more speaking to the identity of asexuality because the orientation, when we talk about sexual orientation, the questions that are asked are, who are you attracted to? Not, are you attracted to anyone? So asexuality fits within that orientation spectrum as well as within the identity. It gets a little bit broader because there is this compulsory sexuality within our society that tells everyone they must want sex. So those who don't and who are healthy and happy with their lives and don't feel that they need to be changed or fixed also deserve space within the identity. I know there's different spectrums of like asexuality, right? Like there's different, like I've seen different people talk about like, okay, just because I'm asexual doesn't mean I never want sex. It doesn't mean sometimes the way I get into sex is different. And then there's like demisexuality, which is still on that spectrum, right? So can you break down some of that for us? Like, cause I think a lot of times people are like, it's either you want sex <laughs> or you don't. And if you don't, you're asexual and that means you never want sex. And I don't think that that's that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. There ends up being a lot of myth busting in the media because of that aspect, which is unfortunate because all myth busting does is pit one aspect of the community against another. When we're talking about attraction, when we're talking about whether or not somebody experiences sexual attraction and then to what degree or under what circumstances they might, which is where kind of that in-between spectrum comes into play with gray sexuality and demisexuality, people who may experience sexual attraction rarely or only under certain circumstances. Demisexual people need an emotional connection in order for sexual attraction to be possible. And then the other end of the spectrum is allosexual, which is how we describe people who consider themselves to have a typical level of sexual attraction. So within that, we're talking about the degrees and circumstances of attraction, but then there's so much more around sex that these micro-labels help address, such as the favorability towards sex, because that is not inherently part of whether or not you feel attraction. The fact that you may not experience sexual attraction to another person may influence your behavior. It may make you less likely to want to engage in sexual activities, but there's other reasons to engage in sexual activities, such as pleasure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> intimacy, connection, doing a favor for a partner, so long as it's something that's freely given and not coerced. And then when we bring in romantic attraction, some people do differentiate between sexual attraction and romantic attraction amongst many other types of attraction. So with romantic attraction being that need to have feelings of love reciprocated, not necessarily engaging in sexual activity, though sex can certainly be a symbol of that reciprocation. So then you have a very similar spectrum for the aromantic community with demi-romantic and gray romantic and then questions about being romance favorable or romance averse and so many more ways to position oneself within these communities mm -hmm. and like i'm just like word <laughs> I, guess I had layers mm -hmm. of it there's, there's a lot of layers just like word yeah. yeah there's a lot of layers that i was completely unaware of until this very moment i'm like yeah. i'm like fascinated i'm just like continue <laughs> 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 like, can you 
speak a little bit more about the aromantic, like how that kind of works a little bit more? Sure. So with romantic attraction, it's often analogous to limerence. I don't know if you're familiar with Dorothy Tenoff's work on love and limerence. It's a fascinating book that was written in 1979, and it was based on six years of research into interviews and surveys of people and their experiences of romantic love and falling in love and romantic attraction. And she created this word called limerence to describe this very specific experience of romantic love that she kind of uncovered through this research. But the most interesting part of her research was that she found that there were people that did not experience limerence. So way back in 1979, we knew there were people that didn't experience romantic love or romantic attraction, but it didn't really get much traction beyond the focus on the other extent of romantic attraction, which is the obsessive, over, you know, intensified need that can lead to some very dangerous things. So we see this heavy focus on that end, but they just kind of forget what importance it is for people that live in a society that promotes romance as the ultimate form of connection in humans. And there are some people that don't experience that and don't prioritize that kind of love. So the ways that we enact romance are cultural. And so that gets confused and conflated with the concept of romantic attraction because giving somebody chocolates is not inherently anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a performance. So it's difficult to start to dissect and differentiate between what is performative and what is the actual experience. So there's a lot of layers within that aspect too. The performative bit is, uh, it's really, I don't know, it's taking up a lot of space in my head right now. It's just like, yeah, it is performative. Like, all the procedures in dating are performative in, uh-huh. in in a way. Like I'm thinking of can I talk about say anything? Yes. You're saying Oh, yeah. I mean, can I ask you to talk about it? So this is when Nick and I first started dating like eleven years ago. I remember I asked him, like, are you romantic? Do you do romantic things? And yeah. and he was like, Oh yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then I came to realize that the part of that was unrequited mm-hmm. love. Like that was where your romance was tied into. And so the performative trying to get someone mm-hmm. to care about you, to love you, to like you. Let me prove my worthiness to you by doing this grandiose thing or making you this little, you know, diorama, you know, that has a picture of us in it. Like, is this, I didn't do that for real, but I just thought something like diorama would be funny. You did mixtapes. I did the mixtapes. I did the say anything. Um, so, yeah, talk boom, about boom box uh, situation. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. A friend of mine is like, we were like, ah, we watched we watch Say Anything and we love the movie. And I was just, I'm going to find a perfect song, you know, to, to do this, you know, one act. <laughs> so it's, it's Christmas. I go over to her house. I give her like a gift that's just like, oh, here, here's a gift. I have one more gift. It's in the backyard. <laughs> just talking about this. I'm just like, oh, my God. So like I, I got I, what was the song? Ah, oh, something in the way you move by the, yeah, by the Beatles. By the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So this thing's blasting on this radio. She's like just watching it and just going like, and expression. I just want to look back at this moment <laughs> while her dog is running around me barking. Uh, her, oh, dog! Yeah, yes. her, her expression is just like, oh, mm, 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then her father comes downstairs and say, like, what's this racket downstairs? So he comes out, has the sliding door open. And he's just like, <laughs> he's like the most like lifeless, like expressionless man. So he's just like, mm, okay. <laughs> and then he leaves. <laughs> I just... I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed by that moment. But uh, it happened and it was a part of me. And I was like really heavily like into the idea of just mm-hmm. having to prove myself. Like and uh the moment I yeah. left it behind, I was just like, uh, that weight just sloughing off of me. I was mm. like, never again will I ever try to argue or have a discussion on why someone should like be with me. Like, no, no, never. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that ties in. Go ahead. Absolutely. That has a strong tie into that limerent desire to have feelings reciprocated. And the motivation for acts like that is often that romantic attraction. But the act itself could be done for a friend, could be done just for fun because it's silly and, you know, interesting. But your motivation for it and what you wanted to have happen from doing that, that is coming from that limerent place. Place. Yeah, it really. I can, I, can, I, can, I can connect with that now in this moment. Yeah. Like, I had no languaging for it before, and it was just like well, limerence. And limerence thrives on hope and uncertainty. So, so long as there is the potential that a relationship might happen or that they might reciprocate feelings, that limerence can continue to grow. And that's why some people can be in a state of limerence for years. And when you say, well, go talk to them. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't go talk to them. That will end the hope and uncertainty. That will create a definitive answer, which can include intense heartache. And the pain of that definitive answer is intense, but it's one of the best ways to break off limerent feelings if you want them to end. <laughs> okay. So what about once you get into the relationship and you're in a long-term relationship? Because if it's dependent on hope and mm-hmm. uncertainty, yeah. So what happens? So limerence is kind of a, a way to initiate bonding within a relationship, but it doesn't last forever. It's a very similar and analogous in some ways to new relationship energy in that it's that super intense euphoria of falling in love with the norepinephrine and the dopamine and the serotonin dumps. And, you know, you're in this intense state, but it is going to fade over time. And either it's going to fade to the point where you realize you just, wow, we are not compatible. Why am I in this relationship? And you sober up and you end the relationship or you find yourself in a very uncomfortable position for a very long time, or it fades into affectionate bonding where you get that deeper sense of love and connection with a person, which can also come through platonic bonding. It doesn't have to come through romantic bonding. You know, that place that you get to, there's many ways to get there. Limerence is not the only way. In terms of discovering this, once you're in a relationship, I'm like, oh, whoops. I got it. It feels like it's happening continually, especially in this day and age. Like people are just like, oh, whoops. No, I'm going to just walk out on this because we don't have anything in common at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just purely based off of this one sliver of like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or in our year. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And like people are going to. If you're able to recognize that and realize that, you know, once the limerence fades, you're not going to be a good match, then that's really great. But unfortunately, limerence also leads you to maximize the other person's good qualities and minimize, excuse, and ignore all of their bad qualities. 
So <laughs> it's really hard to see how you're not a match because you're constantly telling yourself why that's not a problem and telling friends and family why they're wrong about telling you to break up with this person. My word. Yes. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. I mean, it can lead to, you know, when I was in my twenties, my early twenties, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship with someone and for th almost three years, you know, he was also a narcissist and that I will say it is not diagnosed, but I am 98% sure of that. So I just want to put that out there. Pretty sure <laughs> because I've looked it up and I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Oh, yep. That's All it too. <laughs> Thank you it. for the checklist. And so, yeah, at the very least, they didn't seem to have any concept of how to treat your boundaries. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very controlling, very manipulative, very alluring, very, yeah, change voices, like in certain situations, like I was so taken because, you know, they were also there were so many qualities that I was like, wow. And so, yeah, I think, and, and I remember everyone else, the thing was that no one actually was like, mm, I don't think so. Because they, they just knew, like I was like heart emoji eyes for like three years. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, I finally came to my senses and was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. It took a long <laughs> time. I mean, because of the manipulation, you know, so it's like, I think that's where things get dangerous because it's like once the NRE or the limerence may have worn off, then I was just in because I was, because of that kind of controlling personality, that manipulation, all of that. So I kind of was, I was locked in, in a certain way. So it's really interesting, even just as we're sitting here, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about that. Because now I notice things a lot sooner, you know, with partnerships of like, wow, like we have a lot of emotional compatibility or, you know, there's sexual compatibility, which I think are the two that tend to kind of got me in at least. Mm -hmm. And then, and then coming off of that new relationship energy or that limerence starting to soften, to fade, and then being like, oh, I don't know what we have in common. And some of my core, like these core things that like I represent in my life that are so important to me are, you don't get, and that hurts my heart, you know? And so, hmm, you know, and that started to come through and a lot quicker when the relationship isn't so enmeshed or entangled. Yeah. Well, and we're told this story of true love in every Hollywood movie that tells us that it won't fade. And if it does fade, that, that we need to fix it, or we need to figure out what we're doing wrong, rather than just recognizing that these feelings do have connections to, you know, biological processes. And sometimes that does actually physically fade out of our system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then what do we have left? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. being human and uh, accepting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Existing within you, within me and being like, all right, yeah, this is where we are. This is how we function. This works for us. This is our normal. We're constantly looking to mirror each other and have things mm -hmm. match up in such a succinct way. And it's just, just no realistic energy behind that. It's just... Everyone, what do you mean by that? Everyone's functioning. Everyone's on this planet. Yes, there are things that are, exist between us that are common, but within each relationship and, and all the religion that we do, there's like uniqueness. It's no crystal, you know? It's, it's, it's no crystal. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's just its own unique thing yeah. that exists with its own little microcosm. And like you're nurturing that. It's mm -hmm. a mini little garden, mini little universe. Like this, you know, my friendships, my, you know, my relationship with my immediate family. Like it's just, they're all different. 
I get different things out of all those spaces and nothing like is the exact same outside of the side of the, outside of the fact that I just want like respect and thoughtfulness and, you know, people to kind of show up when I'm asking them to do something and they, they want to engage with me, like those things, but yeah, their own unique little thing. And that speaks so beautifully to what asexual and aromantic people often will value is those platonic connections. Our society devalues platonic connections when it comes to comparing them to romantic and sexual relationships, which are expected to be both romantic and sexual. So when we can value our platonic relationships and all the other things they might give us, the emotional connections, the intellectual connections, ways we can enjoy aesthetics with each other, cuddling, you know, that doesn't have to be sexual or romantic. That can absolutely be done platonically. So there's so many other ways that we have to connect that are beautiful and valuable. So the idea that somebody who doesn't experience sexual attraction or romantic attraction is somehow lacking is just wrong. It is completely missing the value that can come to these lives. And it's telling people that they need these things in order to be happy, which again, we're all individuals, right? We can find our own happiness and we can find beautiful platonic connections. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we're polyamorous and one of my partners is my best friend. And I call her a partner because I our level of relating is the same as my romantic sexual partners. And we are not sexual. She is monogamous. She is married. She has a child. When we see each other every Friday, every week, I am in her child's life in a very big way, which makes me so happy because we've chosen not to have children. So it's fulfilling that peace for me because I love children and want that connection. I just didn't want to have my own. And we, we decided that together. Mm. But, you know, Alok talks about the, you know, the activist and poet. They talk about romance in friendship, that that friendship can have romance, you know, and my best friend and I connect with that very deeply. Like last week we went to this bookstore date with like candles all over the place and had wine and cheese. And it was so lovely and beautiful. And it was just, that's our friendship. We've been friends for now, I think 12 years. And it wasn't always like that, but in the past couple of years, and even with her having her child, like it's really, and me opening up, like us opening our relationship and stuff, it's really expanded. And she, that never scared her or like she had no judgment. She was just like, yep, okay, now we're going here and now. <laughs> and being, even though she's monogamous, she still like feels that as well, you know, that like that we are partners in that sense, even though we do not have a sexual relationship and that still, it still feels like there's like a romantic connection there of just love and joy and fun. Mm-hmm. I actually have a really beautiful four-way best friendship that's lasted since college. We've been um, best friends for 25 years now, and uh, we met in college, and the four of us have maintained our friendships. Our friendship has outlasted numerous 
romantic relationships that some of us have had. And we make sure that we get together at least once a year for our weekend so that we can connect and spend time together because we're not all living in the same area. But it is something where throughout my life, there's always been, you know, people, either their partners or my partners, who didn't quite understand why we continued to prioritize our relationship and that we would not compromise our relationship for our romantic relationships. And just having that non-hierarchical bond between the four of us has been an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. Like when you can like literally nurture those kind of relationships and when I see those exist within like, I'm a photographer and I cover a lot of weddings and you see like, the bridal parties of these people who have just been around each other for like ages and just like know each other so well. And then where I see that on Instagram and people I used to go to high school with and they're still linking up and part of, a part of me is always a little sad that I don't have like like those long, like long, long term, like friends, like overall. I mean, overall, I, I know some really good people. I, I have some really good, I have a small circle of people that I can fight in. But a part of me is always a little sad that that it never happened in high school, specifically in high school. Yeah. Um, when I see those bonds uh, play out online, I'm just like, oh, look at that. They're still hanging out. Well, I just didn't make it into that group. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I kind of had to contend with that. But yeah. uh, when I hear, when I hear about you speak about that, it's just, yeah, it's just lovely. Love it here. A term that I found that I absolutely love for this kind of connection that covers kind of a, a best friend or sibling type bond is amical attraction. When I told my little group about this, uh, one of them decided that we are a polyamical quadricule. Whoa! Make people's brains explode. I know, right? What is this? What is this? <laughs> like, tell me more about what this term. I don't understand. <laughs> like, that is, that, that's a full one right there for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love right. it though. Some of the things I'm hearing is like that we are conditioned to center romantic sexual love. And we've been conditioned to do that. We've been programmed to do that. And so that's oftentimes. And we've been codified. Mm-hmm. Codified, yeah. Into legal yes. frameworks. Because if you think about it, let's take immigration as an example. Somebody who is immigrating from another country can bring over a spouse. And they have to prove that there is a romantic and sexual connection in order to validate that. Whereas if they were to bring over a best friend whom they may consider a life partner that they're living with and caring with, that would not be given the same legal weight. Or even like if someone's like in the hospital, like things like that. Right. All of the things that the queer community deals with in that aspect, you're also placing that upon platonic relationships, which are still devalued even within queer communities. Yeah. And I mean, Nick and I aren't legally married. We decided not to do that because it didn't align for us. And that is something I think about sometimes as two people who are together, but there's not a piece of paper that proves that. And so how do we move move through this? Because so let's start here. If someone is listening to this and they're like, I wonder if I'm asexual, (laughs) right? Like, what do you suggest for people? So there's people that are in long-term relationships and and maybe don't, you know, have lost their drive for that particular person. 
you know, Come As You Are. Emily Najowski is an amazing book that talks a lot about that. And this is different, right? This isn't that. And so when I could see someone being like, well, now I don't want to have sex with my partner anymore. Does that mean that I'm asexual? Because there's not enough like education around this, right? And so can you kind of like guide some of those people that might be like, has I, have I always been asexual? Like, what does this mean? So when we're talking about orientation versus identity, within identity, if they feel that the asexual identity is useful for them for, to communicate their needs and boundaries, find community, and to decenter sex within their relationship, then that really is all they need. But if we're talking about the orientation, then it's a question more of whether or not they experience sexual attraction to their partner, if they ever did, if that's changed in any way, and you know how that might change the way that they approach sex or the way they approach arousal, if that's something they want to continue to engage in. And just giving people space to recognize that you don't have to have sex if you don't want to, which is kind of a radical concept in and of itself. We have so much that focuses on how to help people to have better sex and to increase their desire. But there's rarely any space given for somebody who doesn't want to do that. And I think the assumption is, well, if they don't want to do that, they just won't. But our society tells them they're supposed to, and they need to want it. So they may feel compelled to try and figure out how to want it. Mm. I can see that just being mm-hmm. the struggle and the battle for some people yeah. when they're in this space. Yeah, because if they don't want it, then there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Like- That's what we're being told. If there's, if they don't want it, there's a That there is this thing. And that's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing that there is this thing called sexual attraction that some people experience and that I didn't was a huge realization. It was kind of a, a joyous moment to finally not be broken. <laughs> To, you know, I, as having spent 17 years in sex education and helping people to find products to make arousal easier and more pleasurable. And knowing that people approach sex in different ways, they have different relationships with their partners. But when people would ask me about my sex life, I always felt kind of embarrassed because I couldn't be this model of desire that they seem to expect me to be. And it's like, look, I can work through the mechanics of arousal and, you know, teach you. And, you know, I've learned how to have really good, pleasurable experiences, but there's still something that other people were experiencing that I wasn't. And when I understood what that was, it was such a relief <laughs> that I could stop trying to figure out what was, quote, wrong, that I was whole. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's sad and frustrating that there's not enough space for that. And also, I'm glad that it's coming more, right? That we're talking about this more. There's, there's more representation, but still not enough. Again, I think that there's a lot of narratives around asexuality that are false, Can we talk about some of those? Like, what are some of the false narratives around like these, like, okay, if you're asexual, then this means this. I hear that a lot. I've even thought some of those too. And so um, I've heard some people talking about it and I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, see, this is where we get into some of that myth busting. For example, there is an assumption that asexual people, they're just coming out of trauma. Well, here's the thing. Some people do have trauma and they deserve space too. But the assumption that the trauma created the asexuality, while for some people they may feel that way, they deserve that space too. 
for a lot of other people within the asexual community, they didn't come to asexuality out of trauma. This is an orientation, just like being gay, straight, bi, you know, just as our society tried to tell those people that they were coming to that place out of trauma, we have the same problem with the asexual and aromantic communities. So we do need to give space for people who have had trauma, who don't want sex, or who no longer experience attraction because of their trauma. But we cannot assume that everybody is coming from that place. In fact, it is a very small, you know, even, you know, it's a minority within a minority, which makes it hard because they deserve to be whole and with themselves and present with themselves wherever, however they got there, meet themselves where they are. And some people experience sexual trauma at such a young age, they really don't know how it might have influenced their asexuality. But my recommendation with any of that is to take a step back from trying to find a cause and start looking at how asexuality and trauma intersect, inform each other, And you can treat trauma without the goal being fixing asexuality or aromanticism. I mean, you can treat trauma without the goal being fixing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Period. Too, you know, and just wanted to jump like, but both are are so true. Like you don't, it's not about fixing. Oh, I love that you said that. Cause honestly, I was thinking that I was like, and that's, but instead of being like, is it about trauma? I was like. What are the myths? Because I had a feeling that that was that that was one of them. Right. Yeah. That definitely comes up a lot, as does anything with just assuming that not experiencing sexual attraction or romantic attraction means that somebody is lacking or is sad or lonely. And that is where they are missing all of the beauty of platonic love and all of the ways that we have to enjoy life when we're not having sex. But there's so many other layers and things to to, to, to like yeah. engage with and connect around and talk mm-hmm. about. I, it makes me think of when I was younger and uh, my dad was, he loved sports, but he was like, Nick, it's, I'm sad that you're not into sports. Like, what are you and your friends going to talk about? And I, I'm like 12. And it's just like literally anything else. I was like, there's space, there's superheroes, there's comic books, there's dirt. I can literally talk about dirt for like hours. It's just like, there's grown. I was like, dad, there's so many other things to talk about other than sports. Like, I'm sorry, but I just don't care. Just don't. There's so many other things to like engage with around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, while some asexual people do want to engage in sexual activity, for those who don't, it just means that there's other ways they prioritize connection. And with intimacy, we conflate intimacy with sex, but intimacy is ultimately about closeness and connection. And you can have moments of intimacy with people Anywhere in your life, you know, just even in a shared glance at the store where, you know, you both share an experience and you have a moment and you move on, but you are the only two people that had that moment. That is an intimate connection and it can add to the tapestry of your life experiences. Mm. Oh, yeah. I love that. Add to the tapestry of your life experiences. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Nick and I are a really good example of this. We don't have that much sex. We don't. We don't, but we have a ton of intimacy. Yes. 
you know, and we had, we had a sex therapist on before and Amy Christian, and, you know, she talked about how there's so much like erotic in just that intimacy and that play that there can be at least, right. Mm -hmm. There can be, Mm -hmm. you know, we do a lot of breathing together. We play, we laugh, we touch, and we do engage in sexual activity sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it's just for us, for our relationship, it's just not the thing that like sustains us. It's not where we get our source of connection, Mm -mm. right? We get our source of connection from joy. Yeah. Oh, hardcore. (laughs) That that is, that's a firm pillar. Like that, that's rooted at the core of all the things that we do. Yeah. Is joy. Mm -hmm. And that's like that. I think for me, I'll speak for myself is oftentimes like, I don't say more fulfilling, but it's just like more what we tend to go after. It works for us. It just does. And for years, I had judgment around. We both did. Oh, absolutely. I still sometimes and do. And it pops up for me as well. It's fu- it's, <laughs> like, it's bullshit, you know, because it's so ingrained. Yeah, yeah. it's ingrained, sure. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, and sometimes there is like, oh, I really do want to have this sexual connection yeah. and connect in this way. You connect with being demisexual. Mm-hmm. Being on the spectrum of de- demisexuality. It's, yeah. It, it works, that works for me. It's definitely, I need, I require and need to feel as though I have some level of emotional connection with somebody. I mean, some level of care with someone in order to engage mm-hmm. with them before that. It's just, it's, it's necessary for me. It's my bag. Yeah. And it's interesting because for me, a lot of my sexual attraction came, my sexual attraction came from trauma. Mm like came from using sex as a way to control and to find safety. And when I would meet these people that were that counterpart, you know, it would be a very tumultuous relationship and the sex would be like incredible, but I would lose myself and my, you know, my anxious attachment and my attachment trauma and all of that stuff would come up. And so, because when I'm more in new relationship energy, you know, I tend to engage more, but I don't necessarily need to have a lot of sex on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I don't talk about this that much. I, I do sometimes on Instagram because I think, you know, people see like bourgeois shots and sexy pictures and, you know, just like you were talking about Aubrey, like, you know, I'm sex, you know, sex educators, I do Tantra, all of this. And they think, oh, well, that means that you have a ton of sex, you yeah, know, or yeah. masturbate all the time. And I'm like, I don't, do I engage with my erotic self? On a regular basis, yes. Are the pictures that we take together part of the way that we connect? Yes. Like, yes. As him, like, being in his talent and me, like, expressing my sexuality in that way, mm-hmm. like, that is really like me dancing and then, like, watching, I talked about this in another episode, watching myself dance. Like, that, like, I feel turned on just talking about that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, you know, I have to engage in a traditional way of masturbating or something. I relate to a lot of this. Does that mean that I'm asexual or on that spectrum? I don't know. And right now I don't feel like I need to, but I find it fascinating for a long time that because a lot of my sexual drive, I feel like was really spawned by connected, related to my trauma that I actually didn't even really understand yet, that I'm really even still unpacking that. And I think that that's... um interesting, beautiful, like curious, all those things come up around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the language that's coming out of the asexual and aromantic communities is really useful for everyone. You know, you don't have to identify within the spectrum 
to use the identities and language if you feel that it applies to your experiences. You know, like with demisexual, while there is space for you within the asexual community, if you feel that that's where you want to go, I think that that can absolutely apply to people that are otherwise consider themselves allosexual. And that once that emotional connection is had, there is a lot more access to sexual attraction than somebody who may be in a different part of the demisexual spectrum where that may help them access sexual attraction, but it still may not be very frequent. Mm. Uh, Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I know you already spoke to this, but can you speak again to gray sexual? So gray sexual is kind of its own umbrella under the umbrella. Uh (laughs) So gray is really more speaking to somebody who feels that they are somewhere between asexual and allosexual or that their sexual attraction is rare, conditional, fluctuating. There's a lot of aspects, you know, to how we're looking at this. That's why it's not a line. Spectrums are full and dimensional and there's so many ways to look at them. That's why there really are no graphs or charts that explain all the micro labels. I had somebody asking me about that recently and it's like, well, it's hard to do that because so many dimensions, you can't create a flat graph to explain anything like that. Nope. And I think that's sometimes why like understanding these things for people, for anyone, you know, can be hard because it's not like all cut and dry. It's experiential, situational. Like my other partner experiences, it feels like his sexuality is situational, right? Like it needs to be in a particular way. And for me, that's been interesting in the sense of understanding like what gets him there, but also wanting to respect like his boundaries that the fact that I'm very open about like my sexual desires can be arousing. But at the same time, I also am like, okay, like I don't want to coerce somebody into having sex, right? Like I want, yes, like getting them there is one thing and knowing that like you may have like ways to do that. But like for me feeling that caution of like, okay, yes. And like, I don't want to like coerce somebody into that. It's important to also note that sexual attraction is a mechanism of arousal, but it is not the only mechanism of arousal. There are so many other ways that we can access desire and arousal. You know, Emily Nagoski talks about the dual control model of desire, where you have an accelerator and a brake. And I actually had the conversation with her about this, and we discussed how this relates to asexuality and kind of came up with the analogy that, well, Asexual people are just missing the steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> you can have your <laughs> Yeah. You may have your foot all the way down to the floor, but it's not going anywhere. It's not pointed anywhere. There's no directionality. So an asexual person may still engage in masturbation, in different forms of fantasy, but it may not be directed at a specific person. They may not want to engage in it with another person. And you can kind of understand that if you think about your platonic friends. If you think about what you would do if you were turned on, but the only other person there is a friend that you aren't otherwise sexually attracted to. If for some reason you decide consciously and consensually that you two want to see what it would be like to engage in sexual activity with each other, I'm sure you can assume you probably would be able to get to a climax. You might be able to experience physical pleasure, but what would the dynamics be between the two of you in engaging in that experience? Yeah. And it might not be coming from that sexual attraction. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That was a good way to explain that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we have to wrap soon, but before we get into our rapid fire, is there any, I feel like we could go on and on about this. I'm just like. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I have a six hour class. For I know, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's why. Was there anything else that feels really like poignant? I think my biggest thing that was helpful, like was like that just because someone's asexual, it doesn't mean that they don't want to have sex. And some people don't, but that's not across the board. Like that's a fallacy. Right. There was actually a survey done in 2019 of over 10,000 people who identified on the asexual spectrum and over 40% of them identified as being sex averse or repulsed while only about, and then there was about 30% that were indifferent and only about 9% identified as favorable. So the possibilities around that do include the idea that people who are sex favorable and asexual, because our society has so little language about asexuality, they are less likely to realize that they fall within the spectrum. So that might be part of it. But it is also important to recognize that while we keep talking about, yes, asexual people may still want to engage in sex, the vast majority of the currently identified asexual community is either averse, repulsed, or indifferent. Okay, great. Okay. That's really helpful. Yes. Yeah. So there is more people that don't want to engage in, in sex. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Any other like asexual or aromantic or anything that like you feel like, oh, wait, they need to know this. Yeah. <laughs> Not they, just like anyone that's listening. Your, your voice makes me trust any information. You I know. And it's like, just tell me. Uh huh. Where? What I do? Write down. Noted. Well, you can, yeah, we can tell you've been teaching this stuff for like 17 years, sex educator. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I'm like, yes, teach yeah. me more. <laughs> I think one of the most important things people should take away is that you cannot be diagnosed as asexual. Don't let other people tell you what your identity is or your microlabels. It is a personal journey. It is an intrinsic experience. And you are the final arbiter of your labels. So the gatekeeping that goes on within a lot of spaces is really unfortunate because it makes people continue to feel othered when the entire purpose of all of this is to help us to feel whole and recognize who we are, what our experiences are, and how to find the community and the life that we actually do want, not just what we're told we're supposed to want. I knew if I was just like, what else, Aubrey, (laughs) that you were going to be like, yes. Just drop the mic. And I didn't have to like ask a question for the, I felt that in my, like my core, you know? Every time Aubrey speaks, it's just like, listen, and I will teach you. (laughs) Take my hand. Well, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I mean, it's, yeah. And Aubrey also has this like amazing tapestry of like trees behind. And so there's just, yeah, we're like just following you into the wilderness (laughs) of education. (laughs) Okay, so let's do some rapid fire. Rapid fire. We don't have like a button, but that's our button. (laughs) Rapid fire. We're going to ask you some questions. Quick-ish answers. You can pass if you want to pass. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is romance for you? Romance for me is the look in the eyes and the heart connection. Oh my gosh, uh, finding things, weirdly enough. Yes, being able to find anything, anywhere. I think we could solve so many of the world's problems if we just find things. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Next week on The Finder. <laughs> It's like on Harry Potter, what do they say? uh, When they say, oh, I forget the word. It's a word to like find things. Mm -hmm. 
and Alio or something. I, I have very soft remembrance of, it's, of Harry yeah. Potter. So <laughs> you say something and then the thing that you need comes into your hand. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. So when do you feel most vulnerable? Oh, that one's difficult. Uh, I think when I am talking to people where I don't know where they stand. And I don't know how much I can say. What's one way you're taking care of yourself? Ooh, I am a huge coffee lover and I am all about flavored creamers. So I love all the different fun coffee mate flavors that are out there. And that's one of the little treats my husband will sometimes bring me home from a store is a new coffee mate flavor. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> it's just like, surprise, look at this one. It's like it's candy. Who <laughs> really put that candy in there? <laughs> oh, they do. They will come up with anything. Fruit loops. Fruit loops. Pretty much any cereal can also be a creamer flavor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, the milk at the end of cereal, you're just like, is delicious. I will drink yeah, that. Put in my coffee. Yeah. Put it in there coffee. you go. Done and done. <laughs> Something that brings you pleasure. <sighs> long hugs. Yeah. Yes. I'm a long hugger, like long hugger. And we um, used to go to this place like before COVID. We would go to this brunch spot. We need to go back there. Oh, yeah. I really do. It's called Cake. And there was this server there and she and I, we knew like other people. So then we just kind of started to know everyone. And so we had this thing where we would hug like in the middle of the restaurant for at least a full minute, if not longer. Mm -hmm. And people would be looking at us. We didn't give a shit. Yeah. And we just embraced, I mean, talk about intimacy with like basically a stranger every time. And we would just hug and hold each other. And it was so beautiful those are the best hugs to be quite honest like, i like the hugs where like you hug so tight and then like you breathe simultaneously together mm, I, I'll tip, I, I call them heart hugs i'll, I'll hug someone and i'll brace and i'm like oh so good to see you i was like will you take a breath with me real quick and just and like once you then let it out you just you're like that's a heart hug right there it's such a good mm-hmm. one i love it and if you actually hug somebody until you feel them release it's amazing how long you might actually extend that hug beyond what is expected socially. Yep. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I've way extended. <laughs> I've like been witness and been like, oh, we're going to be here for a minute. Yeah. We even <laughs> met your nieces. So his nieces are so now long. teenagers. And they like, his one niece like cradles me and like rocks me like a baby now. <laughs> like that's her new thing. She, like we just hug and like we sway together. And I'm just yeah. like... Oh my God, this is amazing. She's strong. She is strong. She has very strong hugs. Yeah. Okay. What is your love language? Oh, see, that's a whole conversation right there. (laughs) Part two. Part two, Nick. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) I feel the one's love language often speaks to what language you are getting the least of in the moment rather than necessarily one that is your primary. So I couldn't even speak to it in the moment because it's going to change tomorrow. There you go. But I love that answer. Yeah. That's like a whole nother, again, we could go for another hour with that. Yeah. Yeah. Different things to different people. I know. I like that. It's brought out shifts. I want to do one more. Something that makes you belly laugh. Oh, autocorrect fails. Wait, can you tell us a funny one that you've seen? Oh, no. I don't even know. I, they used to have these whole lists of them. They still do. But when autocorrect first started coming out and you had these lists coming up, I would sit there and my husband would cook and I would just read stuff to him while he cooked. <laughs> and we would get to the point where we're trying to read these. I'm trying to read these to him and I just... <laughs> 
loud. It's like he wasn't even funny to him because I couldn't even communicate what it was. He's like, I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I'm so glad right you're in joy right now. <laughs> oh, that's a great thing. Uh, that's good. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look those up. Yeah, hundred percent. So, Aubrey, let us know what do you got going on. Well, I do a quarterly class for sexuality professionals, especially, but anyone who feels that something they want to learn more about. My class is on asexuality and aromanticism, and we not only dive into the what is it, but then how to actually support these communities. So I do it quarterly. I have one coming up in September and in December, and I'm sure I'll set dates again in 2023, but it's on my website. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. I might hit you up for one of those. (laughs) I would love to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aubrey, for your knowledge and your wisdom. And yeah, this has just been so helpful and truly uh, yeah like i feel like i'm really going to be thinking about a lot of the stuff that we've talked about mm-hmm. I hope people are going to get a lot we of only scratched the surface yeah. only sc- i can feel that like yeah. so strong we have only scratched the surface oh we really got schooled on asexuality and all of these topics it was it was really good i feel like i had so much soft knowledge around all of that and it, i yeah. really was just like listen mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have something to share contribute say it now yeah pull back wait like yeah. <laughs> i just i really just yeah, left myself open to this here and mm-hmm. open my ears in this actively. Yeah. Yeah. And I did know some, but there was definitely like nuances that I wasn't aware of. I want to be aware of. And then I'm glad that, um, you know, Aubrey really, um, yeah, has a way of like, oh, yeah, expressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really great questions. Really great questions. I did. Yes. Thanks. Like 100%. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I had in this interview, like I had a lot of um, I don't know, some aha moments, yeah. you know, thinking back from like my relationships and my sexual encounters mm-hmm. and, and all of those things. Absolutely. You know, I think our journey with sex is so infiltrated by outside forces that sometimes it's really hard to understand what is yours and what you think your relationship with sex if you choose to have one or if you have one should be true story and i think it's it's a lot of times this this unpacking of like what is mine what is not mine mm-hmm. that's the question of life right there yeah. especially based off of society that we live in and the country that we live in mm-hmm. like what is mine what is outside yeah. of me what do i believe what do i choose to engage with what do i choose to believe yeah. about myself about others, the world around me, you know, what do I want to hold space for in others' experiences? Mm -hmm. Because it's all valid. Yeah. We all deserve to exist and be heard and be seen. And yeah, this topic specifically, people acting as though it's brand new. No. Shit's been around since the existence of of man. Like Like like, everything else. Everything. It's just been uh, tried to erase away, basically, is what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get get it to. Yeah. And I think the fact that like it is an orientation, Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, what I found helpful was when Aubrey was like, just we know that like being gay isn't like a product of trauma and asexuality isn't either. Mm-hmm. It's just an orientation in a way yeah. that, you know, and I think that that's um, it's really important. Very important. Yeah. And so I think I hope that maybe if some of you were listening and had like an aha moment of like, oh, this might connect with this or I hope for that, you know, with all of these episodes, because I think most of the time we're talking about things that aren't talked about enough or talked about a lot or talked about in ways that, you know, have other people's shit come up or, you know, which is okay. But like, I think, I just think we need to be talking about the stuff that we're talking about 
more. More and uh, I get curious. Get curious and a lot of things to expand. Mm-hmm. Your, your mind, your heart, like yeah. all out here trying to have some semblance of peace mm. and uh, to feel seen mm-hmm. and heard and, and loved and loved. Yeah. And that's a great place to end it right there, I think. I think so too. Yes. In honor of that, here's <laughs> to being seen, heard and loved and seen, hearing and loving each other. Two servings, please. Two servings. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Aubrey at ace sex education that's a-c-e-s-e-x education on instagram and aubrey lancaster that's a-u-b-r-i lancaster on twitter and check out aubrey's website at mypassionangel.com follow me at sexually underscore liberated on instagram and check out my website at brittanypolacastro.com and we're on Twitter too. Follow us at K Table Podcast. Follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram and check out my website at nickantony.com. That's A N T O N Y O H. Editing by Audionauts. Music by Greta Hopmer. And please like, subscribe, and follow this podcast. Leave us a review, it's super helpful five stars if you're feeling generous and share this episode or this podcast with someone that might benefit help us spread the kitchen table love y'all until next time